Hello and welcome to a special edition of The Paranormal Sun, coming to you live from Tower Studios. As always, I'm JT, and I'll be your tour guide as we explore the unexplained. Well, hello everyone. I hope that you're doing well all over the world. I hope that my fellow countrymen here are dealing with the lockdown as best as you can. I realize it's not ideal for a lot of people, and I try and see both sides of these situations. We're not going to go into it too in-depth, because as always, try and leave that divisive stuff at the door when it comes to the paranormal sun, but yeah, I know it's not easy for everyone, and for those of you who are doing it tough, uh, I do feel for you. We're all right here at Tower Studios. The weather's been a bit up and down. It's kind of cloudy today. But uh, I'm hoping by early next week we'll get some more sunshine. It's slowly but surely starting to warm up. Still have some cool nights, but nothing uh, really freezing right now. But uh, hold on five minutes. I'm sure that could possibly change. So yeah, folks, uh, we're between Season 3 and Season 4. And I just wanted to take a chance to give you a bit of a bonus episode I announced it yesterday on Instagram and just told people, hey, look, there's a bonus episode coming out, so I want to make sure that I do cover it for you. As for what I've been up to, uh, yeah, trying to recharge my batteries, relax when and where I can. The timing was also very odd, just because uh, basically I released the episode, the last episode of season three. And then uh, not long after, we started having COVID cases in our area. So, yeah, it's uh, it, I, I guess it's good that uh, I'm taking a break at the same time. But I also know there's people out there who are probably bored and would probably like to hear some things to distract them from the day to day. So I thought uh, we'll hop on today. We'll give you some excellent articles, news of the damned, uh, a, a mega a mega slap of them because uh, I found several good articles. I had a request from the chapter president in Texas, uh, Adriana, to do something about the Tasmanian tiger, and you will be pleasantly surprised to see, yes, I did find a good article about it, and uh, just written within the last few days, so hopefully you enjoy that. Yeah, aside from that, folks, I've just been gaming quite a bit, uh, listening to a lot of audiobooks, and working behind the scenes, slowly getting into season four. I've got a few things to do still. I've got a few things in the pipeline and a few surprises I'd like to have for season four. But again, one day at a time, and we just do it as we can. Aside from that, obviously, we've got the, the stuff going on in Afghanistan. I do find it a bit of a chuckle I shouldn't say that. I know it's not really a laughing matter, but you've got these governments all over the world wringing their hands, saying, oh, why why aren't people doing stuff about this? Well, this is a reality. It's It's kind of like one of those things where people all stand by and watch somebody getting mugged, and they say, why doesn't somebody do anything about it? And there's 20 of them watching, and nobody wants to do anything. So, look, the uh, the U.S. government has definitely got a lion's share in the mess that is Afghanistan, but so do a lot of countries. And there's a very old quote uh, that I'll uh, paraphrase that says, Afghanistan is the place where empires go to die. And I believe that was in written in the 1800s when the UK went into Afghanistan. 
And obviously since then we've had a fair few more endeavors. But yeah, so we've got Afghanistan going on. And that's quite a mess. And no matter which side of the political spectrum you're on, I'm sorry, but um, <laughs> Democrats and Republicans are both as complacent in this as each other. And you, we can sit there and we can point, oh, well, it's more this guy's fault or it's more that guy's fault. But the reality is it's kind of like arguing which one of the conspirators that killed Julius Caesar killed him more. I mean, the reality is all four of the sitting presidents uh, over the last 20 years, 20 plus years that the U.S. has been in Afghanistan, all have blood on their hands. That's just the reality of it. Obviously, Bush went in. But then Obama stayed, Trump stayed, and Biden stayed. And, and you can sit here and they can argue, oh, well, I wanted to get out. No, my hands were tied. The reality is they're all equally at fault. I mean, yes, some people may have killed more people with drone strikes, and some people may have allowed this to happen or released this person. But to act like any of them can take the moral high ground, it, it does make me laugh. Because um, when you have a country that's been at war, for about 227 years of the 245 years that the country's existed. Yeah, uh, look, I know that there are wars that the U.S. was forced into, but there are also lots of wars that have been going on just to line the pockets of the uber-rich, and it's been going on for a very long time. Do you know when the first U.S. invasion of a foreign country happened? Well, no, it wasn't in Iraq. In 2003 or whenever it was and no it wasn't in the gulf war before that and no it wasn't vietnam um and no and no and no and back 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 so basically the u.s first invaded a country before long before any of us were born try 1811 in chile so those people who think that this is a new trend or a kind of new fad nah this has been going on for longer than any of us has ever been alive and yes, I am not attacking the American people. The American people, most people want peace, I know that. But to sit here and turn a blind eye and act like the U.S. is just sitting there and, oh, well, we got attacked, so we have to invade countries. So what did Chile do in 1811? <laughs> you know what I mean? What did they do? Did they cause the New Madrid uh, earthquake? Yeah. And uh, that's another thing. So since the end of World War II, so since 1946, do you want to know how many elections around the world the U.S. has quote-unquote influenced or been involved in changing the results of? Yeah, over a hundred. So the the count differs depending on the how overt or how covert it's going on, but um, between a hundred and a hundred and twenty cases easily, and there are probably many more we'll never know about. So to sit there and act like, oh, well, the U.S. has this great moral authority and uh, we're, we're the good guys and everything else. Yeah, just the reason I bring this up, folks, is I just want those of you who may not realize these things, again, get out there and read about it and understand the history. And again, every country does this to some degree or another, just about every country. I mean, I'm sure there are countries like, oh... Liechtenstein and San Marino probably aren't too worried about influencing elections in other countries. But this is not only the U.S., but the U.S. is front and foremost. So, yeah, I, I just I guess it's because I've been 
I've been knowledgeable all about this stuff for so long, geopolitics and everything else. And again, there's so much that goes on behind the scenes that none of us will ever know about. It's not like I have insider info or I know everything that's going on. But anyone who couldn't see what was going to happen in Afghanistan happening is just, yeah, I, I don't know how you could not see that that was going to happen. And for the president of the United States to come out and say, oh, well, we didn't think it would happen this fast. <laughs> well, you had a lot of faith in your allies, didn't you? So again, uh, just like every country, I'm sure there are lots of, of really hard fighting Afghans who were going to fight the Taliban to, to the death. I've got no doubt there. But no different than Vietnam. When you start announcing you're going to pull out and you have a very weak government and a military that realizes that it, because look let's let's be realistic here okay so the military is by and large in the world still male dominated right and especially in a country like like Afghanistan so yes women are going to suffer but the men by and large it's going to be inconvenient for them let's say and and, and uncomfortable but they're not going to suffer like women so most of them don't really see why they should be dying for fighting for uh, a country that doesn't look like it's going to uh, manage to save itself. And on top of that, when your president just packs up his suitcases of money and, and takes off, yeah, it's kind of hard to expect anyone else to really stand up and, and fight for their country. And again, folks, for those of you who don't know a lot about Afghanistan, Afghanis generally think of themselves as a region or a tribal group first, and Afghanistan second. It's not like the U.S. where you say, oh, well, we're the U.S. and and we've got to stand up for our freedom. we got to stand up for our country. It's not seen that way in many parts of the world. You must understand that. There are many people that live in the areas of Afghanistan and Pakistan who don't really look at themselves as Afghanis or Pakistanis. They look at themselves as their tribal affiliation first, and that's why they kind of go through that border like it's Swiss cheese and kind of float between countries because they don't see themselves as being uh, hemmed in by one country or the other. So yeah, folks, um, it's not ideal, and there's going to be lots of suffering in Afghanistan. There'll be lots of suffering all over the world, I have no doubt, as we continue to move through 2021 and into 2022. Yeah, it... Uh, from a very um, visual standpoint, seeing those helicopters and planes leaving Afghanistan did make me think this is really the uh, the fall of Saigon moment for the current generation. Now, again, uh, I guess that this is one of those moments in time where you have to start asking yourself, well, what's the U.S. going to do? Is the U.S. going to turn inward as they did after World War I? and not worry so much about foreign wars, or are they going to continue to be involved in every bushfire around the world? Now, I would argue that the powers that be, the military-industrial complex, and the multi-billionaires are not going to allow the U.S. to turn inward, and will continue to foist foreign excursions upon the U.S. people for at least the foreseeable future. But we live in hope, and we'll try and stay positive that that's not what happens. And again, folks, this is not an attack on the U.S. people. It's not an attack on the Afghan people. It's not an attack on the military. 
I've got a family full of veterans that have fought all the way from World War One up to present day. The reality is the person in the trenches, the person given the gun by and large, are there to do a job, and I get that. Yes, there are some very sick individuals in the military, the police force, and in many other walks of life that enjoy doing things like torturing people and uh, all kinds of stupid things like that. But by and large, the general soldier, no matter what his nationality or creed, are out there just trying to do a job and trying to survive. So again, just all, all I'm saying, folks, you should know by now, but but don't think I'm taking any certain side or telling you I've got the answers to everything. The whole point of this is for you, the listener, those that don't know, to just pay attention, look into it, look into a bit more about what the U.S. has been doing around the world for the last 200 plus years and some of the things that the U.S. has gotten involved in that it shouldn't have. You can start, one of the other areas you can look at is the Costa Rica banana wars in the 1920s, I believe it was, where basically a they had a governmental change in Costa Rica and the new El Presidente said that I'm going to take all the land from these multinational corporations and I'm going to give it back to the peasants so they can feed themselves. Well, we can't have that, so in go the U.S. Marines. So imagine, if you will, uh, let's say a country, I won't name any certain country, but let's say a country in Asia, Southeast Asia or somewhere in Asia. Let's say that uh, Amazon or uh, Facebook had a huge uh, footprint there, maybe warehousing in that, and this country changed regimes and said, we're seizing the land and you can get out. Imagine us sending the U.S. military in now to try and recover that private property. I'm sure it still goes on. The reality is that it's much more covert than it was in the 1920s, where it was well, this is U.S. interest, so we're just going in and we're going to take it back. And and they did. So yeah, folks, um, nothing is ever as it seems. And I'm sorry if we get too bogged down into that, but I did want to touch on Afghanistan. It is a massive uh, mess right now, and I do feel for the people suffering in war. You can think whatever you want about the sides in a war, but the people that caught, get caught in the middle and suffer, they have no choice in the matter, by and large. And we can sit there and we can say, oh, refugees, refugees, why don't they stay in their own country? But again, if your country is completely decimated and destroyed, you have no food, no water, everything else, what are you going to do? If you, Especially people who have children out there, are you just going to let your children suffer and die? Or are you going to take a chance? So again, the, the best solution, of course, is to have people stay put, rebuild their country, rebuild their infrastructure. But that doesn't always happen. And again, in recent history, it's not been happening. Places like Syria, Iraq, Afghanistan, and just keep going, keep rolling the clock back in time. During the second Gulf War, the U.S. fired so many DUPs, so depleted uranium, uh, sorry, uh, DUMs, depleted uranium munitions in Iraq. There have been international monitors that have gone in, and they said that it's like the equivalent of Iraq getting dosed with 450 Hiroshima bombs. And you got kids playing on these tanks, and yeah. So you can sit there and say, oh, well, it's Saddam Hussein. Yeah, I, I get that. And I do understand that it's complicated, and it's not as easy as just sending him a letter and saying, you know, Saddam, you need to give up and get out of power. I understand all of these things. But at the end of the day, the people that are suffering to this day, 
or the people that live there. Okay, so now that my tirade's over, I do apologize for it, but uh, I've uh, not really talked about my feelings about what's going on in Afghanistan and uh, the 2,700 listed military deaths, the over $1 trillion U.S. wasted, basically, and uh, many more thousands of ex-military that are were were and are fighting for contractors like Blackwater and the like so that uh, the government can say, oh, well, we only had 2,700 deaths and nobody's died in the last year, when the truth is there are many who have died. They're just not wearing a U.S. military uniform. They do their four or eight years. They get out. They go to work for a private firm like Blackwater, get paid much more, and the payoff for the government is then you can deny those deaths because you say, oh, well, they're not U.S. military. But they are basically a mercenary force in there on behalf of the U.S. military. It's paid surreptitiously. So the true number of military deaths in Afghanistan is most definitely over 10,000. And then you've got the hundreds of thousands of people who have died over the 20 years in Afghanistan. So uh, I do apologize if I get a bit uh, aggravated about these things. But, uh, yeah, it's something that's not going to end in my lifetime. I'm sure that warfare and this kind of crap will continue. So we'll try and get into a few more positive things. One of those positive things is there's a group in Wyoming named the Wyoming Paranormal Society Group. Now, this is on Facebook, and David and the team over there are great. They're getting more and more into doing some field investigations. So this weekend coming up, uh, David and his team are going to be going out to the Bear River Massacre site in southern Idaho, and they'll be covering that. I believe they're going to have it online. So if you want to join that group, it's called the Wyoming Paranormal Society. It's on Facebook, and when you go to join, you can just say in the group, just say, hey, uh, I heard about uh, the paranormal the Wyoming Paranormal Society on the Paranormal Sun. Can I join? So that's a good group. I've enjoyed my time there so far, and I hope to be there to see it grow and grow. At some point, I will have David and some of his group on to discuss some of their investigations on sites and the places they've gone to and some of the things they've experienced. So keep an ear out for that. That will be in the future at some point. So aside from that, folks, a couple other things. I have been asked from time to time. I still get people asking, how can I support the show? Well, the best way is just go into either the show notes on whatever podcast platform you're listening to, and you'll see a link there that says you can follow and support the show here. You can also just go to Instagram and look for The Paranormal Sun. So The underscore Paranormal underscore Sun and go into the profile, and there, there will be a link to that exact same link page, landing page, and you can find just about everything that you want there. You can, if if you want to support the show, one of the best ways is really just to tell anyone who you think is interested in these sorts of things, and you'd be surprised how many people out there are interested in this topic, in these topics, when you start talking to them about it. And that's one of the things that I like about the paranormal and the unexplained is that there's something for everyone. Not everyone's into demons or Aleister Crowley. Not everyone's into UFOs. Not everyone's into cryptids. But generally, you'll find something 
in this realm that does interest and fascinate you. And I'm just like everyone else. There's things I like more than others in this field, but I do my best to kind of cover a bit of everything for you. So besides that, you can also go to www.theparanormalsun.com. That's the uh, the website. You can go there and check out anything you want to know there. A bit more info about myself, and also there's info there about The Fortunate Son. Still haven't gotten around to getting any guests on yet to get a new episode out of The Fortunate Son, but we will get there. Now we're going to get into the news of the damned. So for those of you who may be new to the show or don't know what the news of the damned is about, there was a gentleman in the early 1900s named Charles Fort, who was one of the forefathers of these things that I cover on the show and that so many others have written books about and done their own programs about throughout the years. Now, Charles Fort gathered information on these things from magazines and newspapers and stories and he wrote them on index cards, and he gathered them together, and then later he released four or five books on the subjects. Everything from UFOs and lights in the skies to sea monsters and lost and hidden civilizations and out-of-place artifacts. Well, anyway, anything that Charles Fort said that science excluded or ignored, he referred to as damned data. So when they just wouldn't even deal with it, they they just ignored it or ex- explained it away without any in-depth analysis. He referred to this as damned data. Therefore, every time we do the news segment on the Paranormal Sun, it's always the news of the damned as an homage to Charles Fort. Okay, so here we are, and the first article is from Coast to Coast. No, it's not actually this time. It's not from Coast to Coast AM. This one is specifically for Adriana, and this is the Thylacine article. So this is from the Border Watch, and that's borderwatch.com.au. Now, as always, folks, there'll be links in the show notes if you want to go and read these articles. And this one is titled very simply, The Hunt Goes On. Uh, And this is by Leon Georgiou. It says, One of Australia's oldest urban myths, allegedly sightings of big cats in the wild, such as jaguars, pumas, and cougars, that date back to the early 1800s. Sorry, late 1800s. In South Australia, those sightings have tended to originate around the limestone coast, spilling over the border into southwest Victoria. It started in 1885, when it was alleged that a Bengal tiger had been spotted near the town of Tantanula, having escaped from a traveling circus. Always it's a traveling circus. Great for movies, great for cryptids. Around ten years later, a man by the name of Tom Donovan shot an animal harassing livestock around Mount Salt Station. The remains, which resemble a dog or a wolf hybrid, can still be found instead the inside the, the Tant- Tantanula Hotel. But the Tantanula tiger was not a tiger at all. The remains which have, which were taken to a taxidermist by Mr. Donovan were identified as an Assyrian wolf. The tiger name, however, stuck. But even if the, if the Tantanula tiger is actually a wolf, the question remains. How did a non-native animal 
get into the southeast. One tale is that the wolf belonged to a Russian sea captain and escaped from a ship anchored or docked in the area. Other stories suggest it swam ashore from one of the many shipwrecks that litter the coastline, from Port McDonnell to the Murray Mouth. Uh, the Murray is the biggest, uh, longest river in Australia and the biggest. Similarly, there are two enduring theories that used to explain how big cats made their way onto the Australian mainland. The first is that the animals were introduced into the wild by traveling circuses due to an animal escaping or simply being let loose. Yeah, because... <laughs> Because that's the thing, I'm going to spend all this money for this exotic animal that's going to make me money, and then I'm just going to let it loose. Yeah, that makes sense. The second theory is that the animals were introduced into Australia by American servicemen during the Second World War, who used the animal animals as mascots. Now, slightly plausible to me, but yeah, there wouldn't be that many running around. When the Australian government told the defense forces to get rid of the animals, the theory goes that they were led into the wild rather than killed. Ultimately, the stories of big cat sightings and the theories behind their introduction into Australia have filled many books. However, the evidence offered for their existence has always been secondary, almost exclusively verbal reports of sightings. In the past few decades, those sightings have been accompanied by blurry images and hasty out-of-focus video footage. I just laugh because I'm thinking of... One of my favorite podcasts that I listened to for many years, still going, called Blurry Photos. But for Mitchell Moss, an independent researcher from regional Victoria, the quest to prove the existence of big cats and thylacine within Australia has been a lifelong consuming passion. It all started in November 1998, when Mr. Moss filmed from a distance what he believes to have been a Tasmanian tiger near Mount Best in South Gippsland. I grew up in a semi-rural area, so I know what foxes, etc. look like, and I've seen nothing like this, he said. That's the only time I reckon I've come across them. Since then, Mr. Moss has spent the better part of his adult life, some 25 years, attempting to find a specimen of the animal, a clear photograph or clear video footage, something to prove definitively the animal's existence. In terms of compelling evidence for the existence of the Tasmanian tiger, Mr. Moss said it was his own his own personal sighting of the animal. As for the big cats, it's the grisly remains of livestock that have been reported throughout farming communities around Australia. More on that in another article tonight, not long after this. In 1999, Mr. Moss supplied the ABC's State Line program with footage of multiple livestock remains that had been brutally maimed, disemboweled, or dismembered, inconsistent with the known killing methods of native predators. Even more bizarre were that large claw marks found on some of the livestock. You don't expect native species to do that, Mr. Moss said. Even eagles. You wouldn't expect them to do that to cattle. Mr. Moss also notes that the people... Well, <laughs> yeah, uh, eagles probably not going to leave large claw marks on them either. Mr. Moss also notes that people who claim to have seen a big cat are predominantly farmers or hunters. People who have knowledge of an experience with regional wildlife. And I'd agree with that. I spend a lot of time networking in and out of farming communities, which is what interests me, he said. A lot of the people that claim to see these things are not city folk in Melbourne or Adelaide or whatever. They're actually country people. Well, yeah, of course. Maybe if you've got those city people out in the country, maybe that's what he's getting at. But I'm just saying you're not going to see a lot of cryptids, massive uh, 
cats and encrypteds running around Melbourne or Adelaide, which is really interesting for obvious reasons. Most of them know their stuff. Back in 2011, four shooters were on their way to the Coorong to hunt what they claim to have seen a Doberman-sized black cat just off the road. There were five other known sightings within close proximity. So let me read that again. Back in 2011, four shooters, so that's their way of saying hunters, were on their way to the Coorong to hunt what they claimed to have seen, a Doberman-sized black cat. Sorry, when they claimed to have seen a Doberman-sized black cat just off the road. There were five other known sightings within close proximity. This series of sightings led Mr. Moss to install a set of infrared cameras in a nearby pine forest, hoping to capture footage of the elusive creature, but to no avail. About three years ago, Mr. Moss moved to Western Australia and has since focused on sightings in geographical regions closer to his new home. And he is optimistic that with the help of some new technology, he might yet prove the naysayers wrong. Mr. Moss is betting on a relatively new method of biological monitoring, called environmental DNA or eDNA, to obtain conclusive evidence of big cats in Australia. Basically, all animals shed skin or fragments of their being, if you like, into water and soil, he said. These fragments contain DNA, which can be compared with a database of known DNA samples from various animal species, including the Tasmanian tiger, which can then be used to find a match from water or soil samples taken in the wild, unless it's something that we don't have DNA samples for. But in this case, that is a good point that they do have DNA samples of Tasmanian tigers because they existed at one point not too long ago. EnviroDNA is the first company in Australia to offer an eDNA service to consumers, and it's Mr. Moss's hope that people will utilize the company's sampling kit to help find proof of Australia's elusive big cats, and as far as we know, extinct Tasmanian tiger. What this means is for that anybody, farmers, government departments, whatever, can go to their local waterway, take a sample, and send it back to EnviroDNA, he said. Despite the high-tech approach, Mr. Moss is still relying on sightings to help him narrow the area of the search. And given the spate of alleged sightings around the Limestone Coast and southwest Australia over the decades, Mr. Moss has once again taken an interest in the region. And then it's just got a note here saying, If you believe you've seen a big cat or the Tasmanian tiger, uh, please contact Michael Moss. So, yeah, interesting little article there. Um... For JT, anyway, on the scale of 1 to um, unbelievable, I'd say things like the Tasmanian tiger are very much grounded in fact. It's, it's an animal that actually existed not too long in our past. I think the last one died, the last known one, died in about 1926, I want to say, in a zoo in Tasmania. So this is not something that's like dinosaurs that have been supposed to have been dead for millions and millions of years so it is interesting and we do get sightings every once in a while and thanks uh, adriana for the suggestion to cover over a tasmanian tiger or thylacine uh sighting article there just hasn't been many around lately that i've seen but yeah lucky i found this one and it was just a few days old so good suggestion and i hope that you and nico enjoyed it now on to this one is from coasttocoastam.com, and this one says, Video, Massive Mr. Peanut Balloon 
mistaken for UFO over Toronto's suburb. And um, says a curious object spotted in the sky over a Toronto suburb sparked speculation that it might have been some kind of alien craft. But the E.T. visitor wound up having a decidedly earthly origin. And uh, I do wonder if it was if it's a, a Spanish Mr. Peanut or if it's uh, uh, dry roasted or honey roasted. What kind of Mr. Peanut is this? The puzzling anomaly was reportedly filmed last Saturday by a witness in the suburb of Toronto, and the footage quickly found its way online by way of a YouTube channel devoted to anomalous videos. As is so often the case, viewers offered a variety of theories for what the weird object might have been, including a flying humanoid, an individual wearing a jetpack, dark spirits, and of course an extraterrestrial ship. Flying peanut for a thousand, Alex? However, the debate over the nature of the oddity was short-lived as a resident of the area stepped forward with a far less fantastic and rather deflating solution to the mystery. It's a Mr. Peanut Balloon, explained Alvin uh, Akiatan, who shared a much clearer image of the sizable advertisement floating in the air last Saturday. While UFO skeptics got a good chuckle out of the revelation, the proverbial case of mistaken identity can serve as something of a teachable moment as it shows how low-resolution videos can make almost anything seem mysterious, even an iconic cartoon mascot like Mr. Peanut. So, yeah, th look, that is interesting, and I have a bit of a chuckle because earlier this year we had the Goodyear blimp sighting in Pennsylvania, and there were lots of people saying, oh, it's a UFO, and it was a Goodyear blimp. So I'm just going to roll this video here really quick and just kind of see what I get from it. Uh, so it's a it's like a news. A newscast segment here. Let's see how long it is. Uh, it's about three minutes. So I just want to hop to the actual video. OK. OK. So it's it's in Mississauga for those of you that know Toronto, and yeah, I, I I can see it does it does look weird. It looks strange. It's it, it's come out very black in this video. Um, yeah, it 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 is interesting. So look, I, I will give people some credit that this is um, yeah okay. This 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 one. Uh, this this video makes a bit more sense having seen it. And again, you can go in the show notes and click on the link and watch that video if you would like to. Now, the next one here is another one for Adriana and Nico. It just so happens I saw this one as I was looking through the news articles. This is from Coast to Coast uh, AM. And this one says, watch, eerie face mysteriously appears behind girl riding down a slide in Mexico. Says a spooky video from Mexico appears to show a ghostly face suddenly appear behind a little girl as she rides down a slide. The eerie piece of footage was reportedly filmed by Hernandez Blanca as her husband and daughter were playing uh, at a park in the community of San Nicolas de los Garza last month. She subsequently posted the video to her Facebook page a few days later, musing that I did not know whether to upload this or not, but I decided to share it. In the video, as her daughter descends the chute, a creepy-looking face emerges from the darkness at the top of the slide before quickly vanishing back into the shadows. Blanca insists that her family were the only people at the playground at the time, and as such, she cannot explain what could account for the weird visage which somewhat 
resembles the villainous Chucky character from the Child Play films. Every time I watch this video, it makes my skin crawl, the unnerved mother said. Someone please, uh, someone please, can you give me a hypothesis for this? Because I am in shock. Blanca's social media post wound up going viral, with, as one might imagine, people offering all manner of theories for the source of the strange face, with some suggesting that it could be a ghost, and others arguing that it was merely a clever hoax. With that in mind, what's your take on the odd video? So I'm going to roll that video now, and I'm going to give you my take on it. It's only 13 seconds. That's why I like a lot of these um, uh, videos that they have on Coast to Coast, because they are very brief. Yeah, yeah, there's... It definitely does look like a face appear at the top of the slide as she's going down it. Um... Yeah, so is she... Yeah, okay. That is pretty freaky. It looks like a... Yeah, it... Chucky's a good description. It also looks like the... The dolls, like the, the full-size baby dolls. Um, we used to have when I was a kid that you'd see. Um, or even like a child-size CPR-type doll. Something like that. Uh, maybe it's a hoax from this lady. But yeah, it is interesting, and it's it's um, not something I would want to see, especially at night. So, um, and interestingly enough, this video is um, that I'm looking at is captioned in uh, Vietnamese. I don't know what it says, but I know Vietnamese well enough to know that it's Vietnamese, which is interesting. So it's already gone viral, so to speak. Anyway, you can check that out. Just go over and click the link in the show notes if you want to see that video. And I've got the last one here from Coast to Coast AM and Trey in Portland. Here's a follow-up on the different cattle mutilation cases we've been talking about. And this one says, Another pair of mysterious cattle mutilation cases reported in Oregon. And this was on the 25th. So this says... Ranchers in Oregon are once again being advised to keep a close eye on their cattle following a pair of pe peculiar incidents this last month wherein bulls were found mysteriously mutilated. The two separate cases are the latest in what has been a series of strange slayings in the state over the last few years. According to a local media report, the most recent downed animal was discovered on August 14th on a ranch in Oregon's Wheeler County, believed to have been killed around three days earlier. The Black Angus bull was missing its nose, tongue, reproductive organs, ear, eye, and left cheek, as well as part of its tail. Chillingly, those pieces of the poor creature was said to have been removed by way of curiously clean cuts. Since the bull had been found more than 24 hours after its demise, authorities were unable to perform a necropsy on the animal, which was valued at a whopping $4,500, to potentially glean more information on how it was killed. Ranch owner Tanner Brown, who counted the creature among his 600 cattle, was understandably bewildered by the eerie turn of events, musing that it's kind of a strange thing, and acknowledging that he was not alone in having experienced the unsettling phenomena. To that end, Brown's downed animal came on the heels of another incident in nearby uh, Harney County, in which another bull was killed under similar circumstances in late July. So that's at least three in that area, because there was the one in March, you'll remember, that I covered. Interesting. 
Oregon has been particularly hard hit by the cattle mutilation phenomenon in recent years, with five cases occurring in Wheeler County, another five reported in Harney County, and three cases in Crook County, so that's the one that I covered back in March. With all of these reports, authorities remain baffled by the killings, as scenes of the strange slaughters feature no tangible clues, nor blood from downed animals, nor any indication of how exactly they were initially subdued. While the police departments in both Wheeler and Harney County plan to continue investigating, they've also issued bulletins warning ranchers to remain vigilant since the unnerving killing spree seems to be showing no signs of coming to an end anytime soon. Yeah, so folks, imagine if you had a home business. Let's just say you had a gym, okay? You had a home gym. And just imagine somebody destroyed one of your $4,500 exercycles or something like that. I mean, that's the equivalent for these ranchers. It's, you know, we can kind of have a bit of a chuckle about, oh, what were the aliens hungry? They wanted some Wagyu beef or something. But at the end of the day, it's costing these people money. So I, I, I highly doubt that the farmers are behind it as far as doing any kind of hoaxing. Why? Why would you go and throw away your money, basically? So yeah, another interesting case of cattle mutilation, and we'll keep an eye on it and get back to you if there's any more. Okay, folks, on to the next article here, and this one is from the Vintage News. And this one says, The eerie connection between the X-Files and 9-11. And this is from Madeline Hiltz. Uh, The X-Files is known for taking inspiration from real-life events or stories, but isn't known for predicting the future. Yet the X-Files spinoff show The Lone Gunman eerily predicted the events of 9-11 six months before the terrorist attack on the World Trade Center. Now, I don't remember The Lone Gunman, but I do remember when The X-Files was on in that, and you might think I would be one of those people watching it kind of constantly, but I didn't really watch a lot of it when it first came out. Um, But The Lone Gunman, I just don't remember that show. Um... Anyway, uh, I was in school, so it's probably just one of those things that um, I wasn't watching at the time. If you've never heard of the Lone Gunman television show, that's okay. Well, (laughs) it makes me feel better. It says we hadn't either. The series only ran for one season, from March 2001 to June 2001. Okay, so I wasn't in school at that point. The single season only had a total of 13 episodes and dealt primarily with all kinds of secret activity happening within the government. Throughout the X-Files series, a special agent, Fox Mulder, often would read a publication called The Lone Gunman. The newsletter in the show was published by three conspiracy theorists who took the name from the Warren Commission that investigated the JFK assassination. The conspiracy theorists who published The Lone Gunman newsletter are named John Fitzgerald Byers, played by Bruce Harwood, Melvin Frohik, played by Tom Braidwood, and Richard Langley, played by Dean Hagland. These three men are the main characters in the television show, The Lone Gunman. Strangely enough, the pilot episode of The Lone Gunman featured a plotline that eerily echoed the events that would come to pass on September 11, 2001. The official events. In the episode, a computer hacker took control of a Boeing 727 airplane to crash the plane into the World Trade Center in New York City. In the episode, Byers, Frohik, and Langley are able to launch a counter-hack attack against the original hacker and and prevent a disaster just moments before the airplane was about to hit the World Trade Center. However, these events were just half the story of this pilot episode. 
The trio uncovers the fact that the event was created by a group deep within the U.S. government. Interesting. In the episode, the intention was to blame these attacks on foreign dictators to start a profitable war for the U.S. This is sounding more and more like uh, truth is stranger than fiction. There are not only connections between the events that occurred on September 11, 2001, but also the theories that arose after these attacks. It should be stressed that the writers and producers of The Lone Gunman had no prior knowledge of 9-11, and the people involved in producing this pilot episode were horrified to learn about the events on September 11, 2001. Okay, so again. <laughs> it should be stressed the writers and producers had no prior knowledge of 9-11. Well... If there was prior knowledge of 9-11, I don't think TV producers would be given it. Maybe, but I don't think so. Um, and even if they did, I highly doubt they would come forward and say, oh, we were told about 9-11 before it happened, and so we wrote this we wrote, we wrote this uh, TV pilot about it. Yeah, I don't think that's what you're going to do. Anyway, moving on. In reality, the timing of the show's air date and the events of 9-11 is perhaps why they are entangled. The pilot episode aired on March 6, 2001 in America, but the episode aired in Australia only 13 days before the terrorist attacks happened. Furthermore, there are similarities in this episode of The Lone Gunman, but other television shows and books have also covered ideas similar to the one touched on by The Lone Gunman. Stephen King's short story, The Running Man, yeah, I remember reading The Running Man, ends with the protagonist crashing an airplane into a television studio, and yeah, I remember that. Even the sitcom friends had to cut scenes because they alluded to the events that happened on 9-11. So yeah, interesting little one here. And some of these uh, sites, folks, is kind of hard because it's not like one set article. You scroll down and you kind of, oh, is that the end of it? But yeah, that's the end of this. But interesting little one nonetheless. And um, yeah, again, if you want to check that out, link in the show notes. So... On to the next one, and this is for Scott at the old 77, because I know, Scotty, I know you love these uh, these science stories, so I've got one here for you, and this is from Live Science. And this one uh, came out about three four days ago, and it says, Tra Traversable wormholes are possible under certain gravity conditions. And this is from Paul Souter. If you want to come back from a trip through a wormhole, you'll need some weird gravity. Interested in scooting through a wormhole, the ultimate cheat code through space and time? Perhaps you'd like to hop from star system to star system across the universe without breaking a sweat, but first you better make sure your wormhole is traversable. Any traveler trying to cross a wormhole that does not satisfy this will be crushed inside as the tunnel collapses. Yao Rosa, a physicist at Aveiro University in Portugal, told Live Science. Excuse me. Rosa is attempting to virtually build a stable, traversable wormhole one that can be safely crossed without the theoretical passageway collapsing or trapping its occupant. And he has recently found that it is indeed possible, but only if we tweak our understanding of gravity. Um, we'll see how long this one goes, because some of these are pretty long-winded. But if not, that's why I always include a link in the show notes so you can check out the rest. Wormholes are deceptively easy to build on paper. You start with the theory of gravity. In Einstein's theory of general relativity... Gravity defines the relationship between matter and energy, and space and time. The trick to building a wormhole is to find a configuration of matter and energy that allows you to form a tunnel, usually called a throat in wormhole research, bridging two distant points in space. 
In principle, that throat can be as long or as short as you want. But the more interesting wormholes happen when the throat is far shorter than the normal distance between two points, making the wormhole a convenient shortcut. Oh, and wormholes can also act as time machines, sending you into the future or past, depending on how they're constructed. The idea of such a whimsical shortcut has captured the imaginations of scientists and science fiction writers for decades. The possibility to visit other stars or even other galaxies, possibly finding alien civilizations, and the possibility to revisit the past or not having to wait for the future have been part of the human imagination and fantasy for a long time, and wormholes provide a relatively simple and unified solution for both of these problems, Rosa told Live Science in an email. But wormholes constructed based on, these, on the criteria laid out by general relativity, relativity suffer a major problem. They're not actually traversable. The entrances of general relativity, relativity wormholes are hidden behind event horizons, which are one-way barriers in space. That means if you were to enter the wormhole, you could never leave, which would defeat the purpose. Yeah, uh, I get that. Makes sense. The other problem is that they are ridiculously unstable. The moment even a single photon or light particle enters the throat, the whole wormhole catastrophically collapses before the packet of light can escape. Bummer. A new gravity. In order to solve these problems in general relativity and stabilize a wormhole, a cosmic traveler must fashion the wormhole out of an incredible, incredibly exotic ingredient, a form of matter that has negative energy or negative mass. Negative mass, also known as exotic matter, is exactly what it sounds like. If something weighs negative 10 pounds, it would have negative mass. Scientists have not observed negative mass anywhere in the universe. Negative energy is slightly more obtainable, which is just a condition where the energy in a particular location is negative relative to its surroundings. But that can only be achieved at microscopic quantum scales that we know of. <laughs> Again, it can only be achieved at blah, blah, blah. It, again, that our little pitiful human brains know of, all right? Uh, get tired of people, some of these scientists acting like we know everything. Okay, anyway, moving on. The presence of this matter is essential as it prevents the wormhole throat from collapsing upon a traveler. But it is also problematic, Rosa explained. It presents a negative average energy density, an extremely rare characteristic of matter in the universe that is only observed in very specific situations at the quantum level. That we know of. Since such matter is so rare, building an entire wormhole out of the exotic matter would seem impossible in our universe. So rare that we know of. But all this talk about wormholes is predicated on general relativity. Relativity. Sorry, folks. And while the theory of gravity has survived every single observational and experimental test thrown at it over the last century, we know that general relativity isn't the last word on gravity. Relativity is incapable of describing the centers of black holes, the earliest moments of the universe, and the link between itself and quantum physics. So maybe a new improved theory of gravity would allow wormholes to exist. So it gets pretty deep into the science here, folks. Uh, no, it's sorry. Actually, it's not that bad. I'll, I'll finish it off here. What happens is that these... Um, sorry. Next one here is called Making the Trip, next part of it. That's exactly what Rosa investigated in a new paper published online July 29th to the preprint journal AirXIV, meaning the study has yet to be reviewed to peers and reviewed by peers in the field. Rosa employed a tweaked form of gravity called generalized hybrid metric palatini gravity, 
Yeah. Palatini. This theory of gravity is built on general relativity, but allows more flexibility in relationships between matter and energy, and space and time. Earlier research had found that traversable wormholes might be possible if this modified theory of gravity, but they still required negative energy outside the wormhole throat. Rosa found that by layering the entrances to the wormholes with double-thin shells of regular matter, the wormhole becomes traversable without any negative energy. What happens is that these gravitational effects need to be need to guarantee the tra traversability of the wormhole happen naturally if one modifies gravity. An exotic matter, matter with negative mass, is no longer needed to serve the purpose, Rosa explained. What's next? Rosa wants to test this particular theory of modified gravity. This is just a very small step towards the final goal. One must now use experimental data and observations, e.g. gravitational waves and trajectories of stars near the center of the Milky Way, to test and hopefully confirm the validity of these theories. Rosa wrote, While general relativity has so far explained all measurements of gravity, including gravitational waves and the vicinity of black holes, the story isn't over. Future observations might find a crack in that venerable theory. And if generalized hybrid matter Palatini gravity better explains cosmic observations, then wormholes made for travel might be possible. But the questions wouldn't end there. Wormholes can also act as time machines. So a viable wormhole solution would mean that time travel into the past is possible. That, of course, raises all sorts of difficult problems, like the so-called grandfather paradox, and questions about causality. Knowing for sure that tra traversable wormholes could exist wouldn't just make our science sci-fi dreams come true. It would totally upend our understanding of physics. And it says, originally published in Live Science. So yeah, that's an interesting article. And I don't mind covering over some of these science articles here and there. Just when we get too deep into scientific rigmarole, I, I get a bit... Uh, gets a bit tedious for me, but uh, I, I like to read ones like that every once in a while because it's always good for us to know what's going on at the cutting edge of science that we know about because, as I say, I am pretty darn confident that there's lots out there that we aren't being told that's already been discovered, that's already known, that's been forgotten, and is being rediscovered. Speaking of that, here's a really cool um, article here. Ancient tablet displays Pythagorean theorem 1,000 years before Pythagoras was even born. So to paraphrase uh, King Solomon, there's nothing new under the sun. And they have found more and more of these things as time has gone on, that things that were attributed to certain people, they'll end up finding that these items existed long before those people even were alive. I believe one of them is uh, the famous Archimedes screw, my understanding is that they now believe that the Iraqis and uh, some others, so people in uh, Babylon, for example, actually knew about this, about the uh, idea of the Archimedes screw uh, five, six hundred years before Archimedes was alive. So, yeah, interesting nonetheless um, how, uh, you know, these, these things. I, I mean, hey, look, it makes sense to me. If I come along, it's like, oh, Got this idea. Nobody else has claimed it. it's a great idea. Hey, I'm putting my stamp on it. And uh, for these things to stand up for two, uh, 2,000 years or 2,500 years or whatever it is, they, they obviously did pretty well in uh, being their own best publicity. So uh, here we go here. Um, 
This is from Liam Stewart, and this is from August 12th. And it says, An almost 4,000-year-old clay tablet displays an early form of applied geometry practiced by the ancient Babylonians, thousands of years before the math was initially thought to have been discovered. So that's the same group, like I said, the Babylonians, that uh, I do believe I saw something on the History Channel about them now attributing uh, the Archimedean screw to them. Background. Did the Babylonians have geometry? Trigonometry was largely understood to have been first discovered by the Greeks around the 2nd century BCE, so about uh, 200 years BC. The word itself came from a combination of the Greek words for earth and measure. Prominent figures such as Euclid and Pythagoras created foundations and theorems that were instrumental in advancing the understanding of mathematics throughout the Western world. Some of their work is still being used in current modern applications, such as Pythagoras' theorem regarding right triangles. While the Greeks may have had the, the greatest impact worldwide with their mathematical discoveries, it would eventually be revealed that they were not the first. In 2017, researchers at the University of New South Wales, so that's in Australia, found a famous Babylonian tablet from 3,700 years ago, known as Plimpton 322, that contained a trigon trigo <laughs> trigonometric table inscribed on it. It had sequences of numbers that are known as Pythagorean triples, despite it being thousands of years before Pythagoras lived when the tablet was used. And it's in cuneiform, so um, it's, it's not all Greek to me, but it all looks like somebody took a fork and made some peanut butter cookies to me. Uh, analysis. The ancients were math nerds. Well, yeah, and that's another thing I know Again, the um, Mayans were. I know that the Sumerians were. I know the Babylonians were. So, yeah, I know that's true. Dr. Daniel Mansfield of the University of New South Wales, who was a part of the same team that discovered Plimpton 322 in 2017, revealed that a different clay tablet from the same time period in Babylonia contained the oldest known record of applied geometry. The tablet known as SI-427, it sounds like... Um, uh, sounds like exoplanets, the way they name these tablets, contains mathematical and legal records of land transactions at the time. It was discovered first in 1894 in what is now the province of Baghdad in Iraq. Finding it proved to be a journey in itself for Mansfield, and efforts to decipher it tacked on further months of effort. The tablet, similar to Plimpton 322, also displays the use of Pythagor Pythagorean triples to make proper right angles. SI-427's purpose regarding land has also led to researchers hypothesizing that one of the potential reasons Babylonians were interested in these more advanced forms of mathematics was to create accurate partitions and borders of their land. The Babylonians created their own solutions with the boundaries displayed on several additional tablets showcasing an apparent mastery of geographical and trigo trigonometric properties. According to Dr. Mansfield, the Pythagorean triples used on the clay tablets is especially interesting because of their variety. An easy way to create a right angle is to create a triangle with a 3-4-5 pattern, with the largest number being attributed to the hypotenuse. The Babylonians used several different Pythagorean triples to accomplish the same goal. Despite their numeric system making it particularly difficult and overall limiting in which triples can be created. Outlook, Ancient Math and its Impact on the Future from a historical perspective, the implications of these discoveries are relatively clear. 
The Babylonians possessed a significant understanding of geometry and trigonometry before it was even a thought in the minds of their alleged progenitors. When it comes to Dr. Mansfield, his next move is to figure out the full extent of applications that ancient Babylonians used. What he refers to as phototrigonometry, for in addition to the information displayed on the front, SI-427's backside contains a uniquely puzzling mystery that Mansfield hopes to soon crack. In large writing on the back of the tablets are the numbers 2529, written in this sexagesimal format. No one currently knows what these numbers mean, or even what they could potentially be referring to or measuring. However, Mansfield has stated he would like to work with other historians and mathematicians to develop theories as to what they may be. Now, <clears throat> I would assume these numbers are in cuneiform and not in our Roman numbers. That's what I get from this. So, yeah, it is interesting. And again, it's just, to me, it's just another case that shows that our ancestors were not a dumb people who stopped hunting, gathering 6,000 years ago or whatever the mainstream story is and just kind of trotted, stopped. One day they put down their bows and picked up their uh, their sticks and started digging holes and planting crops. Yeah, I, I just don't buy it. Um, I probably am a bit more open to the alternate theories of mankind and how long we've been on this earth and and uh how we got here and why things have happened the way they have uh to me i could easily push back our kind of time line to civilized intelligent humans being on this earth at least in the hundreds of thousands of years ago if not further back uh, and if they came out tomorrow and somebody could prove to me showing that intelligent humans existed on the earth half a million years ago with a civilization and everything else, I wouldn't be shocked by it. That's just me personally. I know there's lots of people, oh, that's sacrilege, and oh, there was nothing before the Ice Age, and blah, blah, blah. And again, that's that's fine. You know, that's I, I, I don't really care. I know that me personally, I'm sure that we've been here a hell of a lot longer than whatever the mainstream number of the month is right now, half a million years or two million years or whatever it is. Um, I definitely think there's much more about the history of humanity that has been obfuscated, forgotten, or covered up than we know. So I would say there's at least as much information out there that we as the average person don't know as there is that we do know, if that makes sense. Okay, folks, I've got one more here, and then we're going to call it a wrap. And I don't know if I'll have any more bonus episodes out. I've got to get a move on about getting season four up and going. Um, I, yeah, I haven't gotten as far as I'd like. So this may be the only bonus episode you're going to get between seasons, but we shall see. Now, this one's The Ballad of Skinny Bob. So this is from Mysterious Universe, and this is the strange case of the Skinny Bob alien videos. And this is from Brent Swanser, August 16th, 2021. So when I saw this article and I heard Skinny Bob, I went, yeah, I know about Skinny Bob. Well, a, a fair bit about Skinny Bob. Uh, so probably as much as anyone who's got a passing interest in this stuff does. So it says... 
One place where a lot of weird stuff has made the rounds concerning aliens and UFOs is the internet. No, gee, really? I thought it was all going to be in bridge clubs, and it was all going to be at the Moose or the RSA or the VFW club, you know? I mean, I thought that's where all of this stuff went down. Or better yet, the Smithsonian. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe some of our three-letter agencies out there. Uh, but yeah, I do have a laugh when people say, oh, there's a lot of conjecture on the internet. Gee, really? <laughs> wow, I had no idea. Uh, anyway, there is a vast treasure trove of resources on these phenomena, including countless videos and photos of UFOs and aliens. With so many obviously faked and the veracity of these things so in question, and I agree with that, it is nearly impossible to separate what might be genuine from the numerous fakes and hoaxes. Yet every once in a while, something comes on, comes out that really manages to make its mark, and one of these was a series of videos that appeared online claiming to show actual living, breathing aliens in some sort of government program. In 2011, a very curious video started making the rounds on the internet released on YouTube by a user called Ivan0135, and yet now that rings a bell and I have seen all four or all six videos there are. The series of supposed leaked videos allegedly shows alien beings being interrogated by some government agency, allegedly the KGB. In the videos, an alien, so that's in, in quotes, that looks very much like a typical gray, and that's in quotes, <laughs> type entity is showing behind being interviewed and examined, supposedly as part of some sort of diplomatic exchange. The creature is described as being from the Zeta Reticuli star system, sent as part of an envoy to discuss matters of mutual concern, according to the videos. The aliens would be escorted by special officers and only meet with high-ranking officers. Sorry, high-ranking officials, although several aliens are claimed to have been present. The one most prominently featured is one with the nickname Skinny Bob would become a viral sensation with his appearance and spark much debate within the UFO community. Okay. The alien itself appeared as a very thin, slouched-over figure with an oversized bald head, slit-like mouth, large eyes that seem expressive and blank, and supposedly claw-like hands, although we never get a good look at its hands in the videos. There was apparently a whole series of interviews conducted with the creature, from the years between 1942 and 1969, although only a few clips have managed to be leaked out. The most well-known clip simply shows Skinny Bob sitting at a table, apparently in a telepathic interview, after which we see footage of the alien from head to toe, showing its disproportionately long arms and freakish build. After that, there's a shot of it allegedly within a pool of some sort of liquid, where it would supposedly sleep. You can see this clip for yourself here. I haven't seen it in a pool of liquid, so yeah, maybe I'll fire that clip up as we continue along here. According to the videos, the aliens were often filmed without their knowledge or agreement, with one document, 072-E, supposedly describing an incident in 1961 in which three of the beings realized they were being secretly filmed by a hidden device which was considered a violation of their agreement. There was supposedly a treaty that stipulated that photographs and filming of the entities would not be allowed unless scientific or sorry unless specific permission was given. The piece of footage in question involves a group of alien beings walking around out, outside on what appears to be a lawn, 
and the aliens were apparently so upset by th by this that the treaty was revised, although it is unclear in what way, called the family vacation clip. You can see this particular piece of footage here. So I've seen that one. I uh, just want to see if, see this tank of liquid, because I don't remember seeing that in the original. The first time I saw it. Come on, Skinny Bob. Okay, tank of liquid. Um, okay, I guess that's what that is. All right, not really much to it. So anyway, um, <laughs> sorry to get sidetracked by uh, the tank of liquid, folks, but I just wanted to check that out really quickly. While these two clips are the most well-known and widely available, there are allegedly other clips that have since been taken down such as that of the alien spacecraft and another of an autopsy being performed on a dead specimen at the base. I do remember seeing the flying, the purported flying saucer. As soon as these clips were released, there was immediate debate as to their authenticity and over just who Ivan 0135 was. Arguments over the video have gone both ways, with some convinced it is real, while others point out that it is obviously a hoax, and much analysis being done on the footage. Was this CGI, animatronics, or the real deal? One special effects guy by the name of Ben Phillips offered up his own thoughts on the footage by saying, If Skinny Bob was faked, he's either an animatronic puppet or CGI, or a blend of both. If it's digital, then it's outstanding and the creator was a professional. If it's, uh, if it's digital, then it wasn't keyframe animation, but motion capture. If it was motion capture, then it would need a studio setup. A studio setup means money and more people. If it was a puppet, then it's not only a stunning design, but the puppeteers were top of the pile. The way he shifts his stance and looks down when he's having his height measured is beautifully done, and one of the reasons why, if it is a computer-generated character, it was done using motion capture and not keyframe animated. I'm not saying it isn't faked. I am proposing that if it was, then it was done by multidisciplinary team of effects professionals that spent a lot of time and money building physical models for extremely short clips that weren't even the main subject matter of the video. Skinny Bob. If faked, none of those involved have broken silence since May 2011 to lay claim to their work. Others are not so sure. It has been pointed out that the frame rates seem off, and there have even been arguments over whether it was 16mm footage or not, and simply that the aliens look fake, with a fake-sounding camera clicking sound overlaid over it all. And that's true. It does have a very loud clattering sound, trying to make it sound like uh, the old uh, projection uh, cameras, the 8mm and that. However, even for skeptics, the main mystery seems to be why anyone would have gone through such trouble to fake it to begin with. It seems like it would have cost quite a lot to make these videos, yet no one was really tried to make any money off of them. It had also been suggested that it, if it was some sort of viral marketing for a science fiction film. But if that is the case, then for what film? These clips were released in 2011, yet there has been no movie that they have been connected to and no one has admitted making them. Also, no one knows who the mysterious Ivan0135 is. He has never given up his identity and has sort of dropped off the radar. One Reddit user, Jamie... Jamie's, uh, <laughs> Jamesy e. Esquire has given a pretty good summation of these points as follows. 
In terms of this being real, there are numerous red flags. The camera clicking sound seems to have been added on over the top of the footage. Overall, it just feels too good to be true. Now, the problem is this. Many CGI experts and those in the movie industry have studied the footage and most agree that if fake, it is the work of a studio with a big budget. I would estimate, especially in 2011, for a studio to produce something of this quality, you're looking at a budget approaching $250,000. To my knowledge, the video has not been monetized. Nobody is making money off of it. No studio has ever come forward to claim it. If this was a viral video for an upcoming movie, we would have known about it by now. The footage was released in 2011. Again, I don't want this to descend into a real or not argument. The mystery to me is why. Who made this? Who had the money to make this for seemingly no benefit or profit? Would love to hear the thoughts of people who work in the movie industry and special effects. What kind of budget setup are we looking at to make this footage in 2011? Are there examples of homemade CGI from 10 years ago that looks as good as this? Is it even CGI? Is it animatronic? Again, if so, who made it? The videos have been largely judged to have been a hoax, but we are still left with some mysteries. Who made them and why? Why is it that they went through so much effort to pull this off? Who is the mysterious poster of these clips and where did he go? To this day, no one has claimed responsibility for the videos, which has only further caused the believers to insist they are real. Hoax or not, the Skinny Bob videos made quite the waves back in their day have been often discussed right up to the present and definitely show just how difficult it will be to ever get any photographic evidence accepted as real, as well as demonstrate the power of the internet to spread fake videos far and wide. So yeah, that's an interesting summation of it. And like I say, I've seen these, I've seen all these videos several times. And yeah, it it, it is very well done. I fully agree with that. And it is interesting. So folks, I'm going to leave you with that. I hope that you have a great rest of your week and I'll keep in touch. Um, we'll see. Like I say, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get another bonus episode out, but we'll just see. All right, my friends, take care, stay safe, and I'll talk to you soon.